Hello and welcome back to episode 27 of Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today we are joined by Charlotte Tulloch, online coach, better known as Lottie Lifts. And this episode is absolutely jam-packed. We talk about getting strong, lean and happy, how to make fitness less miserable for the general population. And we also explore nutrition when it comes to binging overeating, but also understanding how tracking our calories short and medium term can long term allow us greater flexibility. Lottie also shares her approach to being into fitness, but not having to validate her interest through competing in a bodybuilding show. And I think there's a lot that many of us can take from that. Alongside that, there is nobody better place to ask the question of what is the best protein bar in the game than Lottie. She's reviewed over 200 protein bars on her Instagram over the last couple of years, and she shares her top three recommendations with us. Lastly, we look at working from home and the different productivity hacks that Lottie employs while working from home with her partner, Harry, within the same business. Before we jump into the episode, I want to say a massive thank you for your continued support as we have hit now 27 episodes. We have really flown up towards that 30 mark and I'm going to keep them coming. If you've not already, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or hit follow on Spotify. And as a little favor to me, if you're enjoying this one, pop it in your Instagram story or share it on WhatsApp with a friend because ultimately I hope that we can continue to add value through the podcast and the more people we can reach and the more people's ears we can get into, the better. Let's get into this episode. Yes, folks, welcome back to another episode of Canberra Conversations. And today we are joined by Charlotte Tulloch, online coach, co-founder of A Taste of Fitness and better known as Instagram poster Lottie Lifts. Lottie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It was funny when we were setting this up and you sent me across your email address, Charlotte Tulloch, I was laughing because I've never called you Charlotte in all the times that we've spoken. No, it's so funny. I always know whether somebody has found me from Instagram or from fitness because they'll call me Lottie on first look. And really only my mum has ever called me Lottie, but now everybody does. So um, yeah, not that many people call me Charlotte anymore. <laughs> the brand, the branding's on point and it's just spread yeah, that way. Yeah, it works. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've had a couple of people in the gym call me Cambro when obviously that's not my name, but we'll, 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 we'll go with it. But that's the nature of, it, of Instagram and, and maybe elements yeah. of autism as well. We'll take it at face value, don't we? <laughs> exactly. So we've, we've got a pretty, pretty wide looking episode in terms of agenda today, Lottie. And to start off with, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on who you are for the people that haven't interacted with you before? Yeah, so um, I'll try and keep it relatively brief. Um, I'm Lottie, I'm 28 uh, years old and I'm currently a full-time online coach. Uh, I'm not a competitor. I have competed in powerlifting a few years ago, but I don't really, I don't really do that anymore. Um, I suppose I just really train for strength and for aesthetics. Um, I wasn't always into fitness, actually. Um, I initially trained as a musician. Uh, whilst I was studying, though, I, I did experience an eating disorder and I found strength training when I was you know, really struggling to come out of that. And it really did save me, actually. I was competitive enough that um, I wanted to be better at strength training than I was. And as we know, you can't do that. You can't improve in strength training unless you eat. So um, really, I, I continue to love strength training and to sort of juggle it on an extracurricular basis alongside my career in the arts industry. But, you know, in my early 20s, I knew that I really wanted to have a changing career and I really wanted to work and train as a personal trainer and online coach people. And it was sort of around the time that I was meeting my partner as well. I eventually decided to uh, take the plunge and fast forward four years. And as I say, now coaching people uh, full time online. Um, I coach most people on both the training and nutrition base. I do have uh, a few nutrition only clients, but really the focus, I suppose, is specializing in body composition improvement, uh, developing strength, uh, really making sure that we're forging positive relationship with food and also with body image alongside that. Yep. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, I think. Yeah, I think nicely summarized, Lottie. You're very succinct there. <laughs> and f from, from the time that I followed you and that's been 
probably three and a half, four years as well in terms of when we, we were both starting out on, on the Instagram yeah. fitness game. <laughs> Your message has been super consistent with respect to those key themes that you're now or have been coaching people on with respect to positive um, relationship with food, understanding what is a, is a, is a, is a, is a productive approach to strength training rather than just weights as a, as a, as a calorie burning exercise. And that maybe comes from your background where you understood that in order for you to recover from your, your eating, eating disorder challenges that you had to fuel your training and, and enjoy that. So I guess you can maybe help a lot of people who've, who've been through that or have similar traits to that. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, obviously, um, there, there's definitely a line, particularly as an online coach, because you're working obviously completely remotely. So you don't ever get to see people. So I think you do have to be very, very careful about where the line is in terms of when you are dealing with someone who has a genuine eating disorder. And I have said to people who've applied before, do you know what? I'm not the right person to work with you because there, there's, a, there's ethical violations there, really, if you are trying to act as a therapist to somebody with an eating disorder. But I think that uh, disordered behaviours and disordered patterns around training, around the way you think about food can really sort of creep in, in, you know, maybe a less significant way, but still a quite an unpleasant way. And it takes a long time to shake those things. So I think that trying to keep your strength training as a separate and really consistent focus, even if you're primary goal at the moment is aesthetic based i think that having that be consistently um, at least something of a priority is really helpful because it gives you something to focus on all the time something really productive and really healthy and really fulfilling hopefully for most people um, where it's not always about you know making yourself shrink or losing fat because you know i think anybody who's done it knows that sometimes it can be difficult to draw the line. I think that something that can pull you back from that, if you are struggling to get out of that is actually, no, I really want to be able to perform well. So I do try and uh, make sure those things are kept very, very separate. If if for no other reason other than it's just a bit more enjoyable, if you are really enjoying your training, because it's something you get your teeth stuck into. And I don't really know many people who have started strength training, stuck at it for more than six months and not really loved it or really addicted to getting better at it. So I think it's worth doing that, keeping that those two things separate. Yeah, it's a hugely addictive process getting stronger because it has that whole process of betterment in and out the gym with respect to mm-hmm. discipline and habits that it takes to get better at your squat or your bench press or your or your, or your deadlift or whatever movement it is, 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 is yeah. as simple as a, a pull-up. is so rewarding outside the gym as well. And one of my favorite messages you've got there, particularly for females who, who who struggle with body image is around that strength piece because we know that if we always just focus on looking better you, you could easily end up doubling the amount of cardio versus the amount of uh, training you do in order to create this wild deficit um in terms of chasing chasing that aesthetically like the whole time so your message for your clients whether they're male or female is get strong as well as aesthetic and ultimately there'll be periods of the year where you focus on the body composition, but there needs yeah. to be the building blocks throughout the rest of the year to actually achieve that. And I've, I've always enjoyed that aspect of things, Lottie, because from my own background, I initially started purely strength and just wanting to be strong for rugby. But as soon as I fell in love with the process, I moved away and it was all about aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I, was, I fell into a place where I knew that I had to put more weight on the bar or use a heavier dumbbell to get to where I need to go. So that encourages you to eat and, and fuel yourself. But it's very easy to see people who just go in and do these kind of pumpy, squeezy workouts with the same weights every week and just die themselves into the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And I mean, the, the funny thing is, I think that when you do start to focus on the performance side of things, people end up looking the way they want to look anyway. Um, versus if you're only ever chasing the aesthetic goal, it's just, for most people, it's just a moving goalpost. You never get there. You're never happy. I mean, I think everybody can speak to being at the end of a diet and thinking, oh, I just want to be a little bit leaner, a little bit leaner. And then six months on from that, when you put on however much, you think, oh, God, it looked really good then, actually. I'd be, you know, I'd give two of my chins to look like that now. Um, <laughs> but you don't see it when you're there. You don't see that you look, you know, really, really good. So if you, if that's the only the only focus that you ever have, I just, I, I think it's for most people, you're never really going to get there. What are the main ways that you support your clients through that? Is it things like the logbook and tracking their training? Yeah, so all of my clients track their uh, their training every session because I think it just it drives progressive overload, doesn't it? So doing more reps, adding more weight to the bar, and having 
it, for most cases, um, running into like AMRAP weeks or something like that. So a real challenge where we're doing one set of, you know, a relatively heavy load and seeing how much we can do. So having sort of mini periodic challenges that they can really get their teeth into and work up to. And there's some momentum there, which I think is good. But I think um, in terms of, you know, from a sort of a bigger picture thing, it's making sure that they know that there is going to be a point where whether it's with me or not for most people actually they do end up staying on and working at maintenance because i think people find that challenging but yeah. there is going to be a point where it's not about the diet anymore and whether you want to you know be a powerlifter or be the strongest person in the room it's, it's not really about that it's just there is going to be a point where the goal actually is to just to hold steady for a bit and actually maybe enjoy your training a little bit more so just always knowing that this isn't like a permanent state if you're on a fat loss phase i think that even just having that in the back of your mind is important yeah i mean you've hit on a number of important points there one of them is you've dropped the m word which is maintenance and <laughs> I, I, you you were worried there about what i was going to say but um <laughs> in, 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 in terms of that m word then maintenance many people go to a coach for a 12-week diet or they go to a coach for a maybe a shorter than that diet if they're really if they really left it late for their holiday and Coaches do fantastic jobs typically at getting people lean as long as they can adhere to the slightly strict structure. But you've just mentioned there about when you transition away from that, one of the terms that I've used before is the plan after the plan. And so many people don't have the plan after the plan and they move. So they, they, they say they diet with you for 12 weeks and they go on their holiday for a week. Now, obviously the holiday is extremely loose and things get, they, they, they may be blown up a little bit. But when they come back, sometimes they don't hire a coach again or they don't keep working with you. So they end up in a terrible state and they lose a lot of the progress and the habits they had mm. before they were away. So what does a maintenance phase look like then? Because I think that's such an important point to address. And personally, I've trained at maintenance many, many times and it's been a big benefit for me. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, it's such an important sort of, it's a skill really, isn't it? Because I think that you can, I really do think that most people, um, if they really, really wanted to, if they were under the gun, they could stick to a six, eight, 12 week cut, lock themselves in a room for that amount of time, just say no to everything and stick to a plan, some macros or, you know, even a meal plan. I think that most people could do that for the very, very short term. And I also think most people can, you know, go on a dream of bulk for, you know, a short amount of time as well, or maybe a slightly longer amount of time. But, you know, I think most people can do either of those extremes for a limited period of time before they start to feel really uncomfortable. Um, but that middle ground is just notoriously difficult. And I think that a big, a big part of it is actually the diet itself. So uh, if you are swinging the pendulum so far in one direction, generally it's going to come back. So if you take competition prep for it as an example, that's a really, really extreme example of a diet. And there aren't many people who come out of that and don't have to at least swing it some of the way back and maybe, you know, edge over what they want to. So I think if you can get away with dieting in a way that, you know, there's going to be restriction, of course there is, but in a way that maybe you are able to sort of mirror some of the behaviors that you would want to engage in in a maintenance phase so i.e you know how to go for a meal out or yeah. you know how to you know maybe once a week include some sort of flexibility that's going to sort of pave the way because there there isn't that frenzy on the back end of that diet then where you've been absolutely in the dark for however long and suddenly you're out and it's very very overwhelming and there is no restriction anymore but that there isn't that sense of frenzy if you have made an effort, you know, even once a week, just to include something that looks a little bit like your normal life. And then you can sort of scale that up. Um, and it might look like with maintenance, you know, for a lot of people, it looks like, um, you know, maybe still ensuring calories are, are higher, maybe Monday through till Friday, uh, but then having a little bit more on, on the weekends. So you're not necessarily still dieting uh, Monday through Friday, but yeah. you you are sort of still screwing away a few calories so that your intake isn't necessarily linear, but you're at, at maintenance on average. Um, so it might look like that for a lot of people, but I think the main thing is actually, um, as I say, not implementing savagery when you're dieting because yeah. you if you pull a, an elastic band so hard it's going to snap I, I really do think that is most people's problem with moving into a maintenance phase is that they, they don't give themselves the chance because anybody is going to be sort of a little bit loopy on the back end of a really really restrictive diet when suddenly everything is available to you again yeah 100% and when you go from that zero to 100 in terms of everything's been uber tight uber strict you've tracked every macro for 
for, for 12 weeks. Like you mm. say, you come out the other end into a frenzy, perhaps. Maybe you've gone away on mm. holiday. Maybe you've had your your photo shoot or whatever it was you were working towards your wedding or your or your or your your event it's very easy to let everything go out the window but because mm. you've hopefully for most of your clients depending on how strict their goal was of course had an element of flexibility within that that period mm. of the diet when they come mm. out it's not a case of oh my god i've not seen the inside of a restaurant for 12 weeks although <laughs> although covid19 exempt they've not seen the- <laughs> They've, they've not seen the inside of a restaurant for a long, long time. So when they get in, it's a free for all and it's like a, an yeah. all you can eat buffet almost. And yeah. I think that's hugely important. And one of the things you spoke about that we'll pick out was that weekly total. So, mm-hmm. so many people think because my diet's over and I was eating maybe as a, a smaller female, 1300 calories a day. Mm-hmm. And when they go into their maintenance phase, they think, oh, if I eat, 1500 calories a day or 1600 calories a day that's my maintenance but when they blow out one day they assume that that throws out the entire rest of the week whereas what you're saying is maybe you go from your your 1300 to to 1500 monday friday and in the weekends we give you an extra little bit of leeway so that you can enjoy those meals out and be sociable and one of the things i like about that is rather than people just assuming that every day needs to be completely linear it's a weekly total for somebody's lifestyle. And I'm, I know you guys are, are, are very big proponents on that, a, a taste of fitness. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, weekly totals are a little bit of a, a game changer, really. The only thing I try to be a little bit careful of is, you know, people come out of a diet. And again, within that one week, that can be a pendulum swing as well, which you want to avoid. So people can go, you know, weekend having 3,000 calories. And you know, it's okay, I'll just eat 1,000 calories during the week. But yeah. when you've done that for like six weeks, you might actually be at maintenance and average. And that's fine. Like all of the numbers are fine. But psychologically then, when you next come to diet, you've actually spent the majority of your time still dieting. So you're not going to be good for a diet when you actually do want to come to cut down again because you've been spending Monday to Friday you've been dieting. So it's really, although maintenance is, you know, you want to have flexibility, you also... You, you want to make sure that you're not inadvertently spending the majority of your time still dieting in order to afford you some like absolutely wild weekends. Um, and although that seems, I think that seems maybe a little bit sort of um, strict and a, a bit boring and like, you know, let them live. But <laughs> I think it's important not to sort of um, not to fall into that trap because um, I've worked with so many people who've maybe, you know, done that and we've had to really, really pull it back because I know that when they next come to diet in you know, you know a month's time, whatever, however long down the line it is, um, they're going to feel psychologically as though they've been dieting. And as we know, if you're not, if your head's not in the game for a diet, then just don't do it because you're not going to be able to stick to another you know difficult cut for six, eight, twelve weeks, however long it is. If you're going into it fatigued, like you're on the edge of a knife already. Yeah, fatigue's the word, isn't it? You've got that fatigue from pretty much year round being tight Monday, Friday. And then when it comes to being tight Monday, Sunday for a, a set period to, to bring your absolute best, you're not able to do it because you've, you've, you've worn yourself right down. That, that, that's an interesting point, Lottie. And one of the catchphrases for, for your business is making fitness less miserable. And I've always enjoyed that because it's, it's, it's a little bit tongue in cheek because for, for, for a lot of people, fitness is a, is a joyous activity, but there's elements to it when you want the absolute pinnacle of results for you as a person that can be seen as a bit of a grind, a bit miserable, a bit challenging. What does that, what does that effectively mean in practice for, for clients or for, just for people listening to this? Well, I think we're in a bit of an echo chamber, aren't we, where most people realize now thankfully that fitness isn't necessarily miserable, but I think definitely outside of that echo chamber, there probably is still, I think you certainly I've spoken to people who are like, Oh my God, you're going to the gym again. And they think that you live at the gym and that all you ever eat is salad and that you haven't had a slice of cake in five years. There is still that sort of reputation and it is, is a barrier for some people, I think. Um, So, you know, yeah, it's a bit tongue in cheek and it's sort of about that, that sort of outside of the echo chamber reputation. But um, I think that even in the echo chamber, there are a lot of people who maybe um, give themselves more of a difficult time than they necessarily need to, either because, you know, they're, they're sticking to a rigid meal plan or they're, even that they're sticking to rigid macros. And at this point, we know that if you want to have high carb or low fat, or you want to have uh, high fat, low carb, it's not, not going to have a yeah. yeah, exactly. As long as your protein and calories are fine, then you're okay. And actually, don't worry about your daily macros too much to the gram. Uh, look at your weekly totals and, you know, 
so there's so much more flexibility i think than most people realize and as i said a huge huge part of the way that i coach the way that harry coaches is making sure that we're being responsible and that people know how to you know go out for a meal and actually know when to not track something even within the scope of the diet you know if if, you, if it's your nan's 90th birthday party don't go and not have a slice of cake with her <laughs> you know yeah. knowing when it's appropriate as well to actually prioritize your diet which is going to be 90 percent of the time um, but there might be a small percentage of the time where actually it's, it's not appropriate and we can pull it back elsewhere so um introducing sort of micro flexibilities that do, do sort of come together to make it just a little bit less rigid and a little bit less miserable um, is really what that's about and that's not to suggest obviously that if you do want to get sort of absolutely for a photo shoot there isn't going to be you know a sprinkling of misery in there because there probably is you probably are going to be hungry but you don't necessarily need to be eating full chicken uh, as we know to do that so that's really what that was about yeah I, I i i i always really resonated with it because i think like you say we are in a bubble especially on 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 instagram where most people are quite clued up most of the people that follow us thankfully probably get the message that what we're putting out there around flexible dieting and being able to experiment with your nutrition far more than you would than, than some people would think because i mean when i'm in the office some people can't understand that i can eat bagels because it's white bread and you're just thinking yeah. honestly like i've done this it for really so long now don't, don't please, please give me a break and uh, as, as, as if the fact that i'm having a, a couple of bagels every day is going to completely ruin everything that i do outside of that because it's all calorie accounted for so it, it doesn't it doesn't it, it doesn't it doesn't matter which is it which is frustrating but because you are bringing people in perhaps from the general population who haven't maybe been aware of that you, that yeah. catchphrase is quite helpful because it gives them a, a support network and then likewise the people that are, are inside the bubble maybe followed you for a long time that want to be a client they they can they can see both 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 sides to it and the and the, the ability to eat out on a on a on a diet because ultimately it's food in versus food out isn't it with regards to energy balance and i always i always think when you empower somebody to go on a meal out it's very similar to what you said with respect to they can use that principle year round whether they're in a gaining phase or a or a maintenance phase and if you empower them to do it when their calories at their lowest then there's the benefit of yeah. doing it whenever you need. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Um, it's through the MJ who used the dimmer switch analogy, and that's that's 100% it. You have the principles, and it's going to need to need to be sort of more dialed in when you're dieting. But essentially, it's the same principles, and you're just turning the dial up and down depending on what phase you're in. And obviously, if you're gaining, particularly as you know a heavier male, you've got basically as much flexibility as you want re reasonably. Um, but even for smaller females, um, you're going to have way more flexibility when you are gaining. But you you actually do still need to have some awareness of your caloric intake. Because that. So having those underlying principles can just say, depending on what phase you're in throughout the year. Yeah, great point, Lottie. And I think I saw your post today, and we've spoken about this before, about the the inequality between men and women. And don't worry, <laughs> we're not going to talk about the gender pay gap or anything like that. <laughs> On, on this podcast we, uh, we 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 won't get too political apart from the fact that we think that men and women should be paid the same for the same job but in 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 short what 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 is the disparity Lottie and what are the kind of things that you need to take into account when you and Harry are both in the dieting phase and you want to eat out for a meal because unfortunately it's not fair is it it just isn't and you just need to come to terms with it. there's not a huge amount that you can do especially as you know a much smaller female um you are going to need to eat less it is um i think it helps to um realize that it is all relative so hunger is hunger and even if someone is eating more calories than you they are hungry as well so you know harry might be eating you know a thousand more calories than me or more than that even um he's hungry too um so even though you know the absolute numbers are different the experience is probably pretty much the same. relative isn't it yeah it is all relative it's you know a smaller body requires fewer calories and you can't really argue with that you can't really feel as though you've been slighted when you think of it that way because it's nothing that you know you're doing or not doing or they're doing or not doing you're just a smaller person so you have you know a, a, a smaller calorie requirement but um there is there's no real way around it as a smaller female wanting to get pretty lean you do need to consider though i think whether or not the the trade-off is worth it 
um, because you know practically it is it's much much more challenging to be a very small female and for example wanting to go for a meal out um, using myself and Harry's example he can pretty much fit in a meal out in his daily intake if he wanted to without too much you know fussing around with even his meals in that day let alone without within the wider week but yeah. Um, it, because it's a smaller percentage of his daily intake but if you're going out and actually it's a meal out it's going to cost you you know the majority of your daily intake that is really difficult to fit in and that's sort of that's a that's a moderate meal out you can sort of as a smaller female trying to get pretty lean you can pretty much forget about burger and fries and the trimmings when you're dieting because it even that is more than a day's worth of calories for you yeah. so yeah. i think you do need to consider the the trade-off because it is practically much more when you're work with less absolute food because of that percentage thing um but also you know practically there are issues in terms of you know basic nutrient requirements if you're a really small female on really really low carbohydrate trying to get really really lean it's sometimes difficult to get fruit in and things like that and that's where competitors run into those issues and that's the, those, those aren't the people that i tend to work with uh, but even as smaller females, you know, those there are those basic requirements that do make it just practically more difficult than a male who, yes, is in the same maybe same deficit and is having the same hunger experience, but the practical issues are not the same. Yeah, this is it because you mentioned the example there. Harry goes out for the evening meal with you, and he can fit in those a thousand calories, for example. Whereas if your meal's a thousand calories, you're eating very very low food throughout the day almost just pure protein, maybe fasting up until up until midday. Now, there's always strategies to do these things, and that's fine. But from a health perspective, a nutrient perspective, from a, a lifestyle perspective, if you, if, you were, yeah. if you were doing client check-ins on no food on a, yeah. on a, on a Monday, you'd be going barmy water, and your focus oh. wouldn't be there. You're, you're, yeah. At the end of the day, you're a knowledge worker and a, a client service person when it comes to serving your clients and that requires the ability for you to focus and function at your laptop and on the hardest of diets you should still be able to do that even up to the the, the end because you're eating small portions of food throughout the day feeling yourself yeah. but if you're saving up your calories for a steak and chip dinner at, at yeah. night as a small female disaster yeah exactly and i think that um you know it's, it's a really difficult line to walk because then you run into that issue of oh yeah you've been so restrictive for your whole diet and um, that there is that, but I think towards the back end of diet, especially you really do need to pick your battles as a smaller female because, um, you know, it kicks in, doesn't it? The last few, you know, the first stint of a diet for most people is pretty manageable, if not easy. Um, but the last few weeks, if you are looking to get, you know, pretty lean, let's say you're looking to get abstinent for a photo shoot or something like that, um, you're probably not going to want to be banking that many calories because it does just sort of hit you and that sort of extra few hours without a snack or without a meal or whatever has much more of an impact than it did on week two of a diet where, you know, you were busy. So you skipped your, you, you had a late lunch or whatever. It just, yep. everything is magnified in those last few weeks of a diet. So you really do at that point, I think, especially you need to be a little bit more strategic about um, what you are saving your calories for and how you are spending your calories. And is it for indulgence or is it just sort of practical at that point where you want to be able to train and do your job and um, actually not not be a bit of an asshole? Can I say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To your partner or your family because you know last few weeks of a diet and you haven't eaten for like six hours and you're already pretty lean. Your body's Listen, screaming for food. No. Yeah. Your body's screaming for food. Um, your mood is going to go through the floor. Your concentration's nowhere, and irritability yeah. is at an all-time high. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> now, even even within that, if we take it further to a phase where somebody's in a maintenance phase or a very slight gaining phase, even then, a couple going out for a meal, it's still not an even keg either. And that's a that's something that we've spoken about you and I before, where. If, for example, you're out for dinner, you're in a maintenance phase, you both have the same meal, you have the same starter, you have the same main, maybe you have dessert, maybe you don't, but irrelevant, you've probably both gone over your calories for the day, potentially, because you've eaten your normal meals throughout the day. The next day, the male potentially wakes up quite full and pumped, maybe as if the carbs and the, the extra fats have gone to the muscles and pumped them up, whereas you are feeling maybe a bit unpleasant, a bit bloated, and that's just yeah. the nature of, of, I guess you've explained it to me before, but just regards to more muscle mass, more body weight overall to soak up the food. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, if you, if you do go out for sort of a particularly a carbohydrate dense meal, 
Um, I've done it with Harry before, you know, we go on holiday and day one, we're both looking pretty good. Day two, he's still looking brilliant. I'm not looking brilliant anymore or as brilliant. You know, you know, you look at pictures again, it's that thing where you look at pictures later and you think, oh no, I look pretty good there actually. I would just sort of in my own head a little bit, but definitely because, you know, he's got, it may surprise you, he's got more muscle mass than I've got. So when he eats those carbohydrates, they go straight and they fill, fill his muscles. Uh, he's really glycogen replenished and, I will eat the same amount of carbohydrates and I don't have as much muscle mass to fill with glycogen. So it just spills and it leaves you, leaves you for want of a better term, with just a nice squishy sheen all over you. And you look just soft and fluffy where a, a bloke with significantly more muscle mass than you are just going to look hard and lean and nice and full. Um, so that's where the, the keel is not even. If you were to sort of equate it and I would say, can we eat less carbohydrates? We both look, you know, fantastic. But for, particularly, you know, back in the diet for a smaller female, that's actually not going to be that many carbohydrates where you aren't necessarily yeah. pushing over that, uh, that sort of full and lean threshold. Yeah, that threshold where you, you look full because if anyone's done like a prep for a, a show or a shoot, you know that you maybe have that cardboard period. And yeah. if you get that wrong, you've mentioned there, you spill over and you look softer, yeah. you look more watery. And that's mm-hmm. what you're saying. You wake up on holiday and the day before you were quite dry and um, quite lean. Of course, if yeah. you've had more carbohydrates than your muscles can, can soak up in terms of glycogen, oh, yeah. it spills. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly that. Salty food when you're on holiday, that, that's not going to help either. If you're jet lagged, you know, all of those things, you know, holiday is just like a, a bit of a perfect storm, really, because you've gone out, you've eaten loads of carbohydrates, fantastic, that's what you're supposed to do on holiday, but you had loads of salt, you're a bit jet lagged, so you are a little bit soft and squishy. What I actually do try and do, if we can get away with it at all, is bring people up to maintenance before they go, um, so that actually they, they've had that sort of period of time where they've satisfied a few cravings and they're not feeling quite so. Ah at the back end of a diet but also i think that people just get a little bit less sort of hyper focus on looking exactly as they were the day before if they spent a little bit of time eating a little bit more food um but still it, the the keel is never even unfortunately yeah i think that addresses some of the things that maybe people won't have understood before or won't have thought about in, in the same way but it's a really mm-hmm. logical way to explain quite simply how the mathematics work unfortunately now mm-hmm. we've spoken there about carving up for a show and you and I are both people that have never competed in a, in a, in a, in a, in a bodybuilding style show. And, and yet we are still comfortable that we are into fitness, passionate about fitness. So I guess I wanted to speak to you a little bit about not letting things like competing in a show define your interest in fitness. How do you manage that for, for yourself, but also for your clients who are maybe very passionate about it, but don't have that passion for maybe getting in a bikini or getting in a pair of trunks. Mm. I think it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because um, I, I don't know whether it's because I'm just like sort of very far past it now or whether um, people do have an understanding that competing really is just something else. But um, I think maybe a couple of years ago, there was a lot of pressure almost to compete. And I think everybody seems to be wanting to do it. And I think that, you know, I've got nothing but respect for competitors and, you know, they're such passionate people, but it really does need to be your passion project. It is all consuming. It, it really is. Harry has competed in bodybuilding before. Um, it's difficult. It's really difficult, not only for the person competing, but for everybody around the person. It's, you know, it's challenging. Um, and I think that, you know, the majority of people who go into um, competing if they already have a fragile relationship with food, it's going to do nothing for it. So you need to be, I think you need to be very responsible and very careful with your decision to compete. And I think you need to go into it with, you know, a really solid relationship with food. Because I think, you know, best case scenario, you're going to come out of it with, you know, a good amount of food focus. But worst case scenario, if you already have, you know, any even an inkling of sort of um, food focus or whatever, it's going to be, it's under a huge magnifying glass yeah. as you as you got really really lean and that generally won't normalize until you've restored your body weight for a really good amount of time so it's not just the time you're competing you really need to think about you know that you know that year really after you've competed where you are going to be just sort of waiting for things to be level out and you're probably going to be very very uncomfortable um and it's very very difficult to handle so what i normally recommend people do is if they're thinking about competing i say do a photo shoot book a photo shoot do like a 12 18 week diet whatever you need um, we'll run that after the photo shoot. And after the photo shoot, you can tell me whether or not you want to compete. And I will probably recommend you to go and coach with, you know, someone who can help you with the posing and whatnot. I can yeah. coach people to get lean, but it's, it's nice to work with someone, I think, who 
will give you everything like they've been money. there and done it as well which helps yeah exactly um but most people don't want to <laughs> having gotten shoot lean most people say actually I, I don't think i want to do any more than this and for most people that's enough to have that goal to you know have those um that photo shoot it, it is still sort of a moment but i think it, i like it more for people because there's no chance really that you're going to be really disappointed and competing is so so difficult because it's totally subjective it's somebody else's opinion of you and yes there's a criteria but particularly for female competitors it's it's a wild I mean, west yeah show to show it is it it's really political is as well. so to put yeah. that much yeah exactly to put that much into it because it really is you know as i said it's it's absolutely absolutely all consuming and to come out of that knowing that you've you've basically been told that not good enough um, i think that's pretty soul strong and really not good for a lot of people so again absolutely nothing against competitors but i think for most people actually what they are looking for from fitness like a goal and something really rewarding that can probably be satisfied more healthily with a photo shoot and again that's most people that's not everybody uh, there are people who compete and they are hugely successful and they love it and if you do love it then you can absolutely do it but if it's not the thing that you want to do if you aren't actually interested in you know getting in your bikini or your trunks and getting on stage if it, and the posing you don't love the posing if that isn't the thing that you are really interested in and you actually just want to get lean then i would suggest getting lean for something else maybe first of all to see whether or not actually you've got because when you're a photo shoot you've got to push like maybe another 20 percent more than that and that's a lot for a lot of people yeah and that's the hardest 20 percent as well because you've already dug to get mm -hmm. to where you are that's yeah. that's such a good point I, I very much view the photo shoot like you as the litmus test for have i got the, the the routine the habits but also the desire to go any further than this and yeah. and like you say I, I i had a lot of friends that did photo shoots last year i did one as well and it was a very rewarding experience because you're only really competing against how lean you've been before and mm -hmm. as long as you're improving week to week and you don't have a a blowout in the week in the couple of weeks before the photo shoot you, you turn up you get photos of you in the best shape of your life and you have them mm -hmm. for for life and if even if you want to do a photo shoot a year or two years down the line you can compare the photo shoots but you're not against maybe other people that genetically have a better structure than you or um maybe they've taken they've been willing to take something that you've not been willing to take or maybe they've taken more of something that maybe you have been willing to take so it's <laughs> it's 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 it's, yeah. it's a very funny game and i like you have felt that pressure particularly having a relatively big following on instagram to oh you you lift weights six days a week. You track your calories. You've been really lean before. You've had abs for a girl. You've had really good abs for a guy. And um, why don't you do a, a men's physique show? Why don't you do a bikini show? And be really good at this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it, it's it's a compliment, but equally, yeah. If it doesn't light my fire and it doesn't seem like it light you mm -hmm. lights yours, and I know that I've seen how lean you got for your shoot, Lottie, and you wouldn't have been far away from it, what some girls turn up in a bikini show at. But mm. equally you've said yourself that perhaps that would be the extra push that would bring back some of the behaviors that challenged you before. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is why I think that I probably won't compete again. I, I feel like every year I feel like I'm in, you know, a better place and, you know, but I would, I've probably called myself fully recovered for, I, I guess like five, five, six years, maybe yeah. even seven years now. I don't know, but, but that you're never sort of, I think if you ever have had an eating disorder, if you've ever had anorexia or anything like that, you just have to be careful and have to be aware forever because you just don't know. It's, it's the recovery process that just takes such a long time and to regress is such a shame. And if it's not for something that I even want to do or care about at all, then I'm just not going to risk it. And again, to come back to sort of clients who want to compete, I just think um, even if you don't have, you know, a history of an eating disorder, really the chances are you're not going to come out of this with a better relationship with food than you currently have and really what i want from my my working with my clients is for them to for me to leave them better than i found them and i don't think i could realistically promise that if i were to be encouraging them to compete when i wasn't sure that that was actually what they wanted to do yeah that's a really responsible attitude to take i think we've all seen that um coach that's maybe force somebody into doing a show because oh you're really good at dieting 
but are you good at dieting under the most extreme pressure possible while balancing your job or, or your university or whatever it is? And that's it. If people have, you know, most people have jobs that aren't in the fitness industry. So I think I would probably find it, you know, easier than most people because this, you know, it's all in one place. But if you've actually, if you've got something else to do that is totally irrelevant of that, um, that's something really to consider because again, it's all encompassing and all, all consuming. Yeah. One of the things you said there was leaving your clients in a better position for, uh, when they leave you than when they've come to you. And one of the ways that I think that you've spoken about doing that before is with respect to giving them the freedom long-term to maybe not calorie count as strictly, but also talking about that difference between binge eating and overeating as well, which links into that because you're speaking from a background of where you would have maybe had a disordered approach to food. And I think you see a lot of people on Instagram talk about, or having a binge this weekend or um or I had a binge last night and it almost belittles quite how serious that actually is um so do you yeah. want to touch on the first of all the the calorie counting aspect and then we can go on a little bit around the the overeating yeah so I think most people will wind up tracking their calories or tracking their macros when they're dieting just because for the majority of people their knee-jerk reaction is going to be to eat at maintenance or above so if you want to lose fat most people are going to have to track i do work with some people who our goal is to you know gain weight and to be comfortable with gaining weight so i'm they're tracking to make sure they don't under eat so there is a small subset of people that the reverse is true yeah um so you know for most people they'll need to track when they're dieting for some people they'll need to track when they're they're gaining but you you will need to track to remedy the behaviors that aren't getting you from a to b so for most people that's probably going to be fat loss i'm sure you agree with that the majority of people yeah. have tend to over rather than under eat um, but really we track macros what i try to drill in is that we track macros so that we don't have to track macros eventually it's just a learning tool it's accountability and you know it's just a case of you looking at okay where are my calories coming from where is my protein coming from and my carbohydrates and fats and also what are my habits what are my knee-jerk reactions is there anything that i consistently do if i don't keep an eye on it do i consistently unshoot my fat i do that if i don't keep an eye on it i just eat incredibly low fat and it's lower than i should uh, most people it's protein most women uh, they maybe don't hit their protein target um, i don't have a problem with that personally i tend to get more protein than i need but most women if they don't keep an eye on that it will fall by the wayside so it's tracking macros for long enough that you build the habits to remedy those knee jerk reactions and once you've done that for long enough um we should be comfortable particularly when you're in a phase of maintenance where the goal is to give you a break from dieting both physically and mentally um you know do we then think that it's okay for us to take a step back from tracking macros still implementing the behaviors that we've learned whilst we have been tracking um but you know some people do feel a bit uncomfortable about moving away from tracking after they've done it for so long and of course it's it's reasonable because they've associated with this this macro tracking with their result and if you take that away do you then lose the result and um i think it's really really important that people realize that it's it's not tracking macros that gets you a result it's is the action that yeah. happens that gets you the result and if you're still putting into action everything that you've learned then you're not going to lose everything overnight so what i'll sometimes suggest to people are especially uncomfortable is um, just being a bit more flexible with carbohydrates and fats initially. So protein and calories, being a little bit more flexible with how you um, use your carbohydrates and fats. And then m moving away to maybe um, having a normal day's worth of food, but just not punching it into my fitness pal. Uh, so you just eat how you normally eat, don't put it into my fitness pal, and just observe that nothing happens. So I think it's just the fear that something terrible is going to happen if you don't track your macros and once it's one thing to know something logically i think if you say to someone do you think something really terrible is going to happen really if you stop tracking your macros and well no of course it's not but but and then it's like i don't know what this is just this irrational anxiety i have about stopping uh, about this action but if you can sort of implement a day that you are familiar with and see okay nothing happens here it's just a normal day. I just didn't put it into my fitness pal at the end of it. And then moving maybe to a couple of untracked days where we are a little bit more flexible, tracking maybe five days a week, having a couple of days off and just transitioning gradually and learning to trust yourself, I think is, is the biggie really um, yeah. with moving away from tracking macros. I enjoyed that lot too, because it was that almost progressive overload approach to moving away <laughs> from, uh, from, from, from tracking macros. And one, one of the things I think about tracking is short term or even medium term discipline equals freedom because you having the discipline to track your macros for a period of time and understand what's in your food, what's in certain meals, what a day looks like at 
2,000 calories, what a day looks like at 2,500 calories, mm-hmm. that will serve you very well long-term. And I've, I personally am not a fan of purely intuitive eating because I would really struggle to hit some of the numbers that I need mm-hmm. to hit sometimes depending on what my goal is. But equally, I know that if I'm away on holiday and I still want to eat roughly around a particular goal, depending on what kind of holiday I'm on, it might be a family holiday where we're not really going yeah. wild or anything like that. You, you're, just yeah. a, you're just away. I know, I know roughly what, what I can eat during the day and yeah. I can eat, I can eat 3000 calories with about 180 grams of protein. And that's me happy. And that's, yeah. that, that ticks my boxes. And that's been earned by years potentially of, of, of tracking because I've understood mm-hmm. it. But equally, yeah. if you took my fitness pal away, I'd be happier with the food scale because that helps me on quantities because nobody can eyeball cereal. Don't lie to me. Um, or, or oats. Oats is hard to as well. But, <laughs> but, but, it, uh, but, but it's uh, it, that, that, that's a big help. So equally, even on the days where I'm not tracking, and I've done that a number of times, particularly over the lockdown where I've just decided to experiment and see how I get on, mm-hmm. I've still used the food scale so I know portion sizes. But I know that four meals with 30, 40 grams of protein, a portion of carbs, portion of veg. I'm gonna be in. I'm gonna be in the ballpark, and it's not. It's yeah. not a disaster. And that's it. I like that you've been able to to have that sliding scale of depending what clients want to move to. Because some clients will want to go full intuitive. Some will want to yeah. track yeah. basically year round. While some will want to be somewhere in that middle ground. Yeah. Now let's move on to that overeating, binge eating aspect, and I, I think. Having spoken to um, recently on the podcast, Talia Bentley, who came from a, a very severe eating disorder background, she felt quite triggered when she sees people saying like binging and overeating, mm-hmm. particularly when she knows exactly what that actually means in reality in terms of that lack of complete lack of control. Yeah. And uh, I guess if, if if you would want to address a little bit around that, Lottie, and maybe any stories you've got from yourself or from clients mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I think that what people, it's just a sort of a, a, there's just such a huge difference between um, binge eating and, you know, you know, a bit of a binge on the weekend is not a binge eating episode. You know, there is a huge difference. A binge eating episode is just not something to be trivialized. It's, it's deeply, deeply traumatic. Uh, It's not a dominoes with your mates at the weekend. Um, It is, as you said, it's a total lack of control. It's something that's conducted in private most of the time in, you know, top secrecy. You just don't tell anybody about it. And there's just crippling shame and guilt surrounding that. Um, It's eating way, way past the point of fullness with you know, no regard for hunger cues. And really, it's not even about hunger. It's, it's just this loss of control. It's, it's an eating disorder. I think that people think that maybe an eating disorder is only anorexia and only sort of something where you're, you're just never eating or whatever, or um, maybe yeah. purging. But it, binge eating is an eating disorder and it's really, really distressing. And so, you know, whilst I can understand where, I can understand where the waters might be a little bit muddied by, you know, a, a sense of guilt after you have overindulged on a weekend. Uh, but what most people term as a binge is actually not a binge it's, it's an overindulgence you didn't black out and uh, over consume in a really frenzied manner you just overshot your intended I- intake and that's not the same thing it's we shouldn't trivialize a very real eating sort of by watering down that term to apply to all episodes of calorie overshoots because they're two very very different things yeah i think that's a really well well put together summary of what of what the two look like and i know myself that um, touch wood I've never significantly suffered from that kind of thing I've definitely had episodes where maybe through stress I've significantly overeaten but and it's been past it's been past the point of fullness now this was a, a long time ago when I was very much a, a clean eater versus a, I had an on off switch that restriction pendulum. exactly um, but as soon as I understood calories and tracking and I had an element of flexibility I've yeah. never had a real episode where I've significantly overeaten consciously yeah. and or unconsciously or consciously and, and, and gone way beyond that but equally there's been times of high stress or high hunger where i've been like oh i know that i've had my calorie intake but if i have that extra cereal bar that's only an extra 130 calories or whatever and now that's like the very lower end of overeating but yeah. then you have people that maybe have four or five of those and it's not a it's not a binge eating episode but it is a it isn't an, an a conscious decision to overeat although it's been driven almost subconsciously by something yeah. that's going on it's, 
is very, I can, I can understand where the water gets muddied sometimes in that, you know, someone will say, you know, I just, I way over a, it was like sort of a little bit of a, a lack of control. Um, and I, I can understand where it comes from, but I don't know, I don't know how else to say it other than the cop out of you would know if you had a binge eating disorder, because yeah. it's not something that I, I ever really experienced regularly. I, I had anorexia, so I was very, very underweight. Yeah. But then as I was recovering, there were a couple of times where I, I was refeeding and I did, it happened a couple of times where I did binge and I can tell you that it's, it's not, it isn't just sort of having an extra, as you say, a couple of cereal bars and deciding that there is just, there is no decision-making in that process. And uh, as I say, it's not something that's plagued me. It's not something that happened even more than a couple of times. Um, but when, you know, when you speak to people who have a genuine binge eating disorder, and again, I don't work to sort of remedy that because that would be very, very unethical for any online coach to do that. Um, but it's, it's very, very traumatic. And I can see how people who are experiencing that and seeing people saying, oh, I had a bit of a binge on the weekend. And what they actually mean is they had a McDonald's breakfast and an extra hash brown. It's not the same thing, you know. Yeah, exactly. And it, just to close out on that, that important distinction quite often between doing it in private and doing it socially, because yes, uh, so you wouldn't have a binge eating episode with friends. Yeah, it's it, it, it. Now I have absolutely seen people come out of like a competitive show or a shoot and overeat oh, yeah, significantly. Right there, actually, yeah. <laughs> um, but 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 not to the extent where they like can't stand up or anything like that. Where I've seen, whereas no. I know that people. So, for example, I know one of my friends who competed, he ended up having like Oreos for breakfast and like a bowl of cereal and stuff like that. And he's, he's joked about how it messed up his relationship. And then equally, I know girls that have competed that they've gone out for like a Domino's and like their male partners had like, sorry, they've gone out for pizza. Their male partners had that like one pizza. They've had a pizza and then they've ordered like another one for the table for just her because she's just insatiable at that point. Yeah. And, I think that's that's the really difficult line because you can see how you haven't necessarily witnessed a binge eating episode, but you can see how that person is going to go home and have a binge eating episode, and yeah. that's that's the that's the muddy water there because you're probably what you're probably seeing is maybe the beginning of a a, a bit of a snowball effect yeah. with competitors in particular. Yeah, it's like um the term that I understood from it was it's disordered eating rather than eating disorder because it's on the cusp of moving into yeah. something that's mentally and physically um, a disorder versus um, just disordered behaviours? Yeah, I think people, this is, like, I've had this conversation with Harry quite a lot and it's it's one of those, I think eating disorders are very, very difficult because um, they're very difficult to define when is it disordered eating, when is it an eating disorder, but I think whenever you are, are experiencing something that is taxing you mentally um, and constantly as well, um, you're maybe inching into, uh, you know, past disorders eating into a little bit of a dangerous territory there where you maybe are looking at developing an eating disorder. And again, um, if ever you think that that is happening or you think that's happening to a client or whatever, your your responsible your responsibility is to refer out because um, that, that needs um, something more than, you know, a, a remote coach, I think, for most people. Yeah, that's a nice way to close off that section. So if that's particularly triggered any ideas within yourself or you're listening to this, then medical and support and help is available and you can and you can get that through through your local gp initially um moving on to a slightly more light-hearted topic then lottie protein bar war so anyone that's followed you on instagram <laughs> anyone that's followed you on instagram for a period of time will know that you are the protein bar review queen with respect to hundreds of reviews how many how many reviews have you done do you know Oh, I could check. Um, I've got it on my Evernote. If I check, I reckon it's probably closer to 200. Um, yeah. the, of my recent ones, I started sort of shooting them, um, I guess, <laughs> professionally, um, maybe two years ago. With yeah, it's closer to 200, I think, at this point of like my, my curated protein bar shots on the big cam. Yeah. So you get your you get your you get your your fancy camera. Right. You get the different angles and uh, yeah. and 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 we and we review them. So I think the question that people are going to have are, are what are some of the best ones you've had? So let's 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 go for two in particular. What are the what are your favourite bars and and what what about them in particular? Um, I really like um, the more layered bars at the moment. So I like you know a little bit of 
variety of texture in a bar. So things like, I'm a huge fan of the Battle Bites bars. Um, I think they've really, really nailed it. So rather than the sort of traditional single texture bar, um, they're the more sort of uh, layered. Uh, they the flavours are really, really good and they're a lovely company as well. I really like the people who run that company. Um, but maybe my favourites at the minute might be the My Protein 6 layer bars. I'm a huge fan of those. I really love a really substantial protein bar and I'm hearing myself talk and I'm way more into this than I should be probably. <laughs> but people whatever. are passionate I really about love these a things. substantial protein bar that really feels and I get it. I'm driving it. I get it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that the layer bars are definitely sort of top of the list. But what I did realize the other day is that um, I've, I've had some protein bars that I've reviewed ages ago. And when reviewing a protein bar at the end of a diet versus when you've been in maintenance for a really long time is a really different thing. So with that in mind, my two current favorites that stood the test of time are the six layer bars and probably the battle bites bars although i do like the phd smart bars as well i like the phd smart bars as well now obviously i've got a vested interest in saying that the my protein six layer bars are the best <laughs> mp call for your discount guys but um <laughs> it, we, we, what's 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 the other bar called lottie and where's the best place for people to get those ones um, battle bites um, you can buy direct or i get most of my protein bars from protein pick and mix um, i'm not sponsored uh, i tag them in all my protein bar reviews but it's because i buy from them um, they're a lovely little shop based in tunbridge wells and i used to live down that way um, and because i've bought so many protein bars then they're being quite good friends so <laughs> yes so yeah that's 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 lottie's top three and somebody that's reviewed just under 200 protein bars that's a pretty good um <laughs> good person to, to ask about which ones are the best ones to have now last section i wanted to cover with you and this will be relevant for everyone that's listening because a lot of my audience is split between people in the fitness industry and people who work careers like me in yeah. busy jobs that they want to perform at their best at and you work from home in the same business mm -hmm. as your partner harry and yeah. ultimately if you're not productive, your large client book will not be serviced. You won't launch any new products. You won't be able to go on your nice holidays that you go on. It would be a disaster. What are some of your top productivity hacks for working at home? Because ultimately, anyone during this COVID period that's worked from home and never done it before will have encountered all the different struggles that you can get from that. Yeah. Um, I think that the most important thing is boundaries. Uh, and it's something that I really, really messed up when I initially started working. And that had a lot to do with space as well. Uh, I used to work in a one bed flat. So um, it was Harry and I there together working from home. Um, our living room wasn't big enough. So we had our desks next to each other in our bedroom. So that is just just a disaster, just worst case scenario for boundaries, really. Um, so ideally, you would have somewhere designated to work, somewhere designated to maybe relax and eat. And, you know, most definitely just keeping your bedroom as somewhere to primarily sleep. I don't work in your bedroom and definitely don't work in your bed. I see, I think it seems like a really like big life goal when you first work from home. It's like, oh, I'm just going to work from bed in my pajamas and not get dressed. It's so disaster. good. Not good. <laughs> it feels good for like a week and then it's just terrible because you can't sleep uh, you can't relax in your room all, all the boundaries are just so messed up if you can maintain a space and you know if you can a time schedule for work as well and if you can't necessarily you know i don't work a nine till five i'm not going to sit here and say that i sign off at five and that's it because i don't um i work late for nights some nights but um, just having some sign off time, even if it's not the same time every day. Uh, and certainly what Harry and I have been really good about doing for the last couple of years is having, a, you know, an evening or even like a whole day sometimes where we are just, you know, off, um, off work. And we don't sit there, even just don't sit there with your phone. If you know that you're going to look at your emails or if you work on social media like we do, yep. uh, you're not going to be sitting there looking at Instagram or doing anything that's related to work. And you are just having some really designated time away from that so that, you know, not only does that increase your productivity within the time that you are working and you're not going to be drifting into, you know, hoovering when you're working or, um, you know, working when you should be relaxing and spending time with people. Um, it, it takes care of both of those things because it's important to preserve both your work productivity and the space outside of work as well, because you, you need to nail one to be able to nail the other. Um, so, but I think, you know, the most important thing is making sure that you do have time 
away from uh, work and you don't get sucked into the black hole of doing it all the time because um, over the long term that, that really is going to suck especially if you are working at home with your partner you just need to establish those boundaries it's so important absolutely and I, I like that whole boundaries piece because when when do you ever switch off if you're never if you're never off effectively yeah. that I mean that sounds so silly but if, if you like you say if you work in your bedroom when when does the laptop get closed and yeah. if that changes every day and every night then it's very difficult to to ever get to position where there's an off switch and like you say you guys are on social media you probably are answering answering client queries or client inquiries and you're creating content to drive lead generation it's it's a never-ending game when you open your phone or open your laptop so there needs to be that strict off switch quite difficult actually because you know there's there's lots of things that you sort of do and you maybe need your phone for like if you want to take a photo or something so like we if you really are terrible at that we brought like scrabble and uno and we were like watch a film just do something that like there is no way that you would like sort of need to be sitting on your phone while you're playing uno for example just try and have something that is completely away from um you know your laptop or whatever because the temptation i think is to drift in and out as i say if you can create that boundary and implement that routine uh, you'll have a much more productive work life and you'll probably have a much happier life outside of work as well yeah that's a great point just that complete separation from Mm. electronics can be quite healthy as well and i know that especially if i actually want to watch netflix and not maybe go on socials because i because i work a nine five my time outside of that is like creating and trying to post on this instagram and maintain it and if I'm watching Netflix, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I could just do another story here quickly or I can reply to these DMs. Mm-hmm. And off the back of the podcast, not going to lie, it's been really, really busy, busier than ever before. My best ever Instagram post would get me some DMs, but my best ever podcast, my, my DMs are full because the impact of it's a lot, a lot stronger mm-hmm. based on the conversations. And mm-hmm. it's really hard to get away from that if you're not creating, and I love that term that you've given me, boundaries where you say so my phone goes out the room when i'm on net when i'm watching netflix um it goes on airplane mode now when i'm out for steps quite a lot of the times i've got the podcast i'm going to listen to downloaded or i'll turn my data off and i can make a phone call and that's helped me a lot to switch off and i guess you'll be the same like where you've got these board games which are analog and no digital to them which uh, which saves you Uh, sometimes you do it seems really I think when you initially say it it seems really stupid you're like I'm not a child but you almost have to treat yourself like one because it is addictive it's just like knee-jerk reaction your phone is in your hand like when does it ever leave your hand and as I say especially if you do have if your job or your side gig is anything to do with social media uh, the boundaries are just too blurred so if, if you do have to force your hand by you know turning your phone off or putting it on airplane mode or having it outside the room or just doing something completely different then it's worth doing that it's definitely worth doing that yeah and just last one for the corporate workers i'm i'm the first job i had after university i had i got given a i just graduated and they gave me an iphone and i had a blackberry when i was at uni so i was like great get rid of this blackberry just use this iphone worst thing i ever did because that was my sole phone so after five o'clock at night, I would still, be, and I would have like a hard stop, close my laptop, go to the gym. But when I was at the gym, I was still getting work emails. When I got home from the gym and having food, I was still getting work emails. So yeah. when I moved to my new role, I made sure to get a personal phone. Now that works in both ways. First of all, it's great when you're outside of work, you don't have to look at your work phone, but get your personal phone out the room when you're working at home uh, in a corporate job, yeah. because... Yeah. My, my work phone doesn't have Instagram, doesn't have WhatsApp. Nobody has my number mm-hmm. apart from work people. So no, that's not going to go off with a group chat with the, the people that are wanting to chat to you at, at half past nine in the morning when really you need to be deep in a spreadsheet or, or send an email. Yeah, so yeah. That's, been, that's been a big hack for me. How, how do you find having your phone sat on your desk beside your laptop? I mean, um, it is challenging. I mean, at the minute, I've been crossing my fingers because my internet is down, so I'm tethering with my phone. Um, so my phone literally has to be on my desk right now in order to sort of make sure that this doesn't drop out Um, but it is I I will often just like put it upside down or not have a look at it because when I'm doing client work I need not to be answering dms from people who 
aren't my clients and um, I need not to be really even doing stuff for my Instagram page I need to be focusing on that so uh, like you really I do try to have my phone somewhere else and somewhere away because for me the temptation I don't mind admitting that, that I will just sit there and scroll and it might be productive in the sense that I'll get an Instagram idea or I'll get you know reply to some DMs or whatever I'm not being mindless but it means that I'm spread too thin and I'm maybe not yeah. completing any one task so that sense of like sort of trying to separate everything out I think is really important uh, but what I also um, do is I, I have my clients on my emails but I don't have clients on whatsapp I know a lot of coaches do have clients on whatsapp I have them on emails because I'm able to get back to them sort of as quickly but it means that there is a boundary there that you know if it's two o'clock in the morning and an international client wants to get hold of me they're not on my whatsapp i will open that email when i'm working in the morning and not when i am out to dinner with my other half and my phone is in my bag so trying to create those big boundaries and also those micro boundaries i think is really really important because you need to be prepared for yourself probably to slip up and to be you know looking at things and having your phone in your hand at some point where maybe you shouldn't so yeah. i'm trying to make sure that you are almost trying to sort of foresee where you're going to trip up and just know to sidestep that um, i think that that's that's helpful yeah, I think all of us being aware of our different flaws and that that links back into different areas that we've spoken about tonight with regards to calorie tracking, eating out, um, getting our training in, understanding the, 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 the best way to approach our training. So there's a lot of overlap within that. One thing I'll share with the listeners, and hopefully if you're still listening to this point, is while he's talking about getting back to DMs there, the absolute key to getting back to DMs on Instagram now is instagram.com forward slash direct forward slash inbox on your browser on safari or google chrome whatever you use and you can reply to them on there and there's no chance that you're going to go and watch stories on your laptop browser because it's it looks shit so you can reply to your dms on your laptop and that is a game changer <laughs> so so it's like what's it's like if you've got whatsapp web for your laptop exact yeah. same idea and it is Amazing. a genuine game changer when it comes to getting back to people promptly. And you know what it's like. You want to be polite. If somebody's taking the time to message you, you want to come back to them with a, a good response. So that's been a game changer. So if you've made it through to this point in the episode, you've just got some serious gold there as a little bit of a help. In terms of where people can find you, Lottie, where are the best places to go your, um, your Instagram yeah, I'm pretty much, Instagram is the only thing that I really do in terms of social media platforms. Uh, so I'm at Lottie Lifts on Instagram and you'll find me there. And I have my website, which is sort of my landing page for my coaching and all the services that I offer is linked through my Instagram bio. So everything lives there and you can pretty much find anything you want on there. That's perfect. I'll put both of those in the show notes below. Thanks very much for listening, guys. If you haven't yet, please drop us a five-star review on Apple. Share this one with a friend, pop on your Instagram story, tag Lottie, tag myself, and we'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.